Welcome to the Movement Minutes with your host, Reed Nellis. Here, we pursue the human connection. We learn how to empower one another. We discuss clinical pearls. We discover our passions. We reflect on our capacity to achieve. We remain open to novel trends and concepts because regardless of our backgrounds or experiences, our successes or failures, we all speak the same language, human movement. All right, on today's podcast, we've got Dr. Steve Capobianco, the medical director and one of the founders of Rock Tape. I'm sure you've heard of the company. In today's podcast, we go through a billion different topics ranging from where to live in the U.S. to mountain biking to parental advice to, oh yeah, talking about this little company known as Rock Tape and what he has been able to create through not only the courses, but building what he calls a family and seeing everybody as a human first and then their profession or then their issue or then their symptom or then their anything, right? We are all human first and I'm so happy to have the conversation with Dr. Capo that we had today. So please help me in welcoming Dr. Steve Capobianco. All right, guys, Dr. Reed here. We've got Dr. Stephen Capobianco, otherwise known as Capo or El Jefe, the boss. Um, <laughs> he is my boss, and I'm very, very happy that he's joining me on today's podcast. Uh, he is the medical director of Rock Tape, as you probably heard in the intro, uh, and he's just an all-around genius and great guy. Um, I've never actually experienced a hug from him, but I heard from uh, Ethan that they're fantastic. So um, I'm very excited to have him here with me today and uh, hopefully enjoy some conversation. So Capo, yes, sir. this, this is uh, my intro for you. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I hate intros. I hate when people talk about me and mm -hmm. I feel like I'm very bad at delivering intros. So what I want you to do is actually introduce yourself. That's better. It's like having someone sing happy birthday to you. You just, it's awkward. You don't know what to do with yourself. And I you appreciate don't know where to put your hands. It. No, you don't. You don't know where to look. Um, so um, intro. Hmm. You said you weren't going to give me any uh, hard hitting questions. <laughs> to introduce yourself, I'm, I'm a chiropractor by trade. Uh, I've been in practice for 18 years or so. And uh, I'm a I'm just a curious mind. Um, one of the reasons why I got in the position that I'm in right now is that I'm just curious about uh, better ways of influencing people's ability to move. And so I got myself into the right place, right time and found the right guy, found the right company. And I became the medical director of Rock Tape uh, well over 10 or 11 years ago. So, um, so just a curious chiropractor looking to help people. That's, that's my intro. I love that. I love, <laughs> I always like struggle with this aspect of you see somebody's business card and they got so many letters and so many certifications and things like that. And you're like, wow, they're so mm. accomplished. Mm. But at the end of the day, like my business card should just say movement nerd. And I think yours should say curious mind. I love that idea. So yeah. Yeah. Actually uh, I did have a business card on it and, and I was told way back when, and you might have had the same experience that as a chiropractor, you should be able to explain what you do and, and why you do it uh, you know, on, a, on an elevator. Um, and I was never comfortable with that. And people would ask, you know, uh, what do you do? And I'm a chiropractor. You know, what is that? You know, tell me more about it. And I go, I go my version of a chiropractor is a, is a movement advocate. Um, and that's what I put on my business card. And it's funny enough that you bring that up is that on my business card, it's a chiropractor movement advocate and i believe that that's that's really accurate to be honest yeah. is that i'm i'm just looking to get things to move that might be the joints that i'm trying to influence with my hands the soft tissue that i'm trying to manipulate uh or the person more more importantly to get them move uh, and something that you're familiar with move in a meaningful way something that moves them and i i just i can't tell you how and this is 18 years of of being in chiropractic, but I was a, a trainer and a, a strength and conditioning coach for 10 years prior to that. So I've always been interested in helping people move. Um, so the movement advocate would be the best description now that we've now, now that we've come down to it. Yeah. It's funny. Like, so not to, this is not a question that's on the list by any means, but 
whenever I meet somebody, I'd say I'm a chiropractor. Uh, they're like, okay, so tell me more about what you do. Or generally they start moving their neck in weird positions. You know, I, I always tell people like, I just make people better. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, oh, I'm kind of a teacher. I'm kind of a coach. I'm kind of, I just make people better versions of themselves. And I think yeah. across the healthcare professions, that's kind of what our whole goal is, which I love, which is kind of why yeah. I started this podcast. Right. Um, so you touched on something that I actually did have a question for you. I want to hear if whatever version of this story is shareable, um, how you, how you sought out is what you just said, uh, Greg Vandedries, but yeah. I heard the story in the version that he actually basically pounded on your door. Um, so, yeah. and interrupted clinic hours, uh, yeah, briefly was, tell us that story of how you ended up with rock tape. There's multiple versions of yeah. every story and including this one. Um, I was the local chiropractor in a small town called Los Gatos uh, in Northern California. And uh, I was probably one of the only uh, DCs, one of the only chiropractor in town that was actually taping people using kinesiology tape. Uh, at that time, I think I was using kinesio or KT, I can't recall, but um, it, it was an interesting occurrence where one of my trainers, and so I had a facility over top of a personal training studio, and I had multiple trainers um, that I collaborated with. And one of them had met Greg Bandendries, who was the original founder of Rock Tape, um, at an event. Um, and Greg was inquiring at the time, and this was in 2009, Greg was inquiring, you know, did anyone that he knew uh, had, a, had a better understanding of how to use this tape that he was in the process of creating? Um, and, and that person introduced Greg to me, and we had a scheduled appointment, uh, but this is the story of Greg and my... Uh, relationship. It was, we had our wires crossed and he came at the wrong time. And I have a, I had at the time an open door clinic where patients were moving around and I would be working on someone. And so anyone could walk in and you would literally walk into the treatment, you know, area. And that's what Greg did. Um, and Greg knowing, knowing his personality of which is, is not shy. It's probably the best <laughs> way of putting it. He, he entered in as if he had known me for years and said, I have this, this new tape. I want you to try it and let me know what you think. And I was somewhat turned off of, of him at that time, but I was really curious because he had approached me at a time where I was having difficulty with the existing product that I was using. Uh, I worked with primarily endurance athletes, triathletes and long distance runners. And the tape that I was using would fall off within a short amount of time. So he showed up at the right time. He showed up at the wrong time for me to be able to interact with him. But after all of that, uh, I found that his product was superior. I called him back in and we had a formal meeting where I said I had an idea. And the idea was, was um, uh, created around my curiosity of helping people by putting this tape on different parts of their body. And uh, he loved the idea because he didn't necessarily know what he was going to do. And that's where the relationship started. We started uh, the company at that time. We started creating um, training courses to one or two individuals for free. <laughs> um, and the rest is history. So they say. Let's say who would have guessed where it would have taken. I mean, at that moment, you couldn't have predicted where you'd end up. 12 years down the line, right? Like, oh no, oh no, no, not insane. even close. I'm, I'm, and I'm, I can't tell you how proud I can, you know, giving people hugs is what I want to do right now because I'm so <laughs> proud of the team that we've created. Uh, last weekend, I, I conducted uh, our 2020 virtual European summit to 50 of our international teammates um, that teach our our content, the content that I delivered, that I created over the last 10 years, these individuals are delivering it in 15 different languages and different parts of the world that I can't even pronounce. And, and so I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just blown away of the success that this company's had. And I credit it completely uh, to the people that we've been able to harvest, including yourself. 
Well, thank you. Um, no, and I, I, I love that you said something there, content I created and something that I, I am currently taking your uh, movement specialist course through the FMT plus shameless plug uh, <laughs> there. But um, you said this in the course immediately followed by a sentence that I probably have stolen from you or other people like you is that you created it but you're standing on the shoulders of giants. And this is something that I greatly appreciate about you is you are a very, very smart genius mind as well as a great uh, concluder of thoughts, meaning you're able to combine all of these shoulders of giants ideas and all this research into a more digestible manner. And at the end of the day, if somebody can't comprehend the material that you're trying to deliver to them, it's null and void. And so one of the biggest uh, attributes I think you have is not only just creating that and formulating it into a concise manner, but also realizing that you don't have all the right answers. Greg needed you just as much as you needed Greg to deliver this company into what it is today. And uh, it takes a team. It takes a team for sure. So um, it it does, it does. And something that, uh, that you reminded me of is that none of the concepts and content that I've created really were created within my own head. It were just interpretations of, of, of giants, like you say, before me that have, that have introduced content and concepts and uh, solutions to problems that they had experienced. I was able to capture what they, were, they delivered to me and create content that made sense as it pertains to tape and tools and other manual therapies. So I, I think that most people in content creation do that. The, the ones that I respect the most are the ones that give credit to those before them. And that's what I always felt comfortable with is, is highlighting those, those great minds that I learned from that allowed me to create my interpretation of the, of the concept. I love that. Uh, if you're listening or viewing, go back and listen to that again. Um, I mean, all knowledge is stolen. We know everything at this exact moment about the world as it exists right now, right? Like by the time you're viewing this, there's going to be new research out there. There's going to be new knowledge out there. And yeah, and acknowledging that is crucial to this. Um, another thing that you touched on uh, briefly is how many instructors Rock Tape has. And we'll get away from this conversation here in a second. Um, how many people are on the team right now worldwide? Yeah, worldwide. This is an answer we, I don't even know. Yeah, we have uh, just under about 175 instructors. Um, we have approximately 48 here domestically in the U.S. And we have uh, a few in Canada and, and uh, Mexico. Um, and then the rest of them are in Europe um, and Asia, as well as um, uh, Australia and New Zealand. So we're around the world and we have about 175 instructors delivering our content. Um, and I believe the last count we had conducted in 2019, uh, well over 1500 courses in, in that fiscal year. That's insane. So, that is insane. Um, and you mentioned Canada. That's where I want to go now. Okay. Let's did you it. watch, did you watch the maple syrup heist dirty you money episode? I- no, I should have, and I'm somewhat embarrassed that I haven't, but uh, I know As, it. <laughs> So if you ha- don't yet, uh, go ahead and do yourself a favor and follow Dr. Capo on Instagram because <laughs> as much information and knowledge and awesome content as he delivers, he brings the best memes on a daily basis to his story. And at one point, he posted about this uh, future career of, um, I hope this was you. I hope I'm not like giving you credit. Okay, yeah of a maple syrup lawyer. Um, and yeah, it was, it was super funny, but it, it, there's an episode on Netflix of this, it's called dirty money. And they talk about this maple syrup heist in Quebec, Canada. Um, we're not going to talk about that cause you didn't watch it. I did have some hard hitting questions on that. Did? Did. No, I didn't. I'm just kidding. I we'll mean, I love follow-up. maple syrup, but Let's it's like, do a uh, follow-up. okay. <laughs> episode two. Um, <laughs> what's the, uh, movie. Anyway, we're, I think it's wedding crashers. He's like, I love maple syrup. I put it in my hair. Yeah. Um, no, where'd you, uh, tell us about Canada. Where'd you grow up? Uh, I was born and raised in just North of Toronto, Canada. Um, 
we call that northern Minnesota. In fact, and we call it southern Canada, so it's the same. <laughs> the um, yeah, I was born and raised in in Toronto. I lived there uh, until 2000 uh, when I moved down to the U.S. Uh, to do my chiropractic degree, and I've been here ever since. Um, and I miss it. I miss it dearly, um, especially now that I can't go there. Um, I just miss everything about my homeland. So it's yeah. uh, it's a tough time, isn't it? And as somebody like you who's moved countless places through mm-hmm. school, through your career, through everything, and it's brought you mm-hmm. so many cool places. It's really interesting that like the the definition of home is so different for so many people. But if you yeah. break it down to like the core concepts of what that means to them on the personal level, it's the same thing. It's a comfort zone, right? Sure. Canada, not only known for maple syrup, hockey and lacrosse. Uh, yeah. You played both. Mm-hmm. Which one are you better at? Um, I'm better at lacrosse by far. Um, feet on the ground without a small blade in between them. I just had, I had um, more prowess, I guess. Uh, I was a long pole and field lacrosse and, and that's where I, I, what I played the majority of my life and played it into college. And I just had better skills as, as that type of athlete, albeit uh, I've always, yeah, yeah, well, a bruiser, I guess that, that would be just part of the game, but the, what, what I always envisioned was playing in the NHL. There isn't, there wasn't at the time, I should say, you know, a professional league that I could aspire to uh, as a lacrosse player. And, um, and, and so I always envisioned that I wanted to play in the NHL, of which I never had a chance. Um, But um, the lacrosse is definitely a game that I still um, play. And I just, I have an 11 year old daughter that, uh, we just created a league here in uh, Texas, where I am living now in Austin, Texas. It's the first girls lacrosse program uh, that was created la- late last year and unfortunately was put on hold due to COVID, but we are um, resuming it in 2021. And I'm really excited about that. Isn't that like, so I now have two kids of my own and you mm-hmm. have a daughter and it's, and the dogs, let's not forget them. Um that's right. You can't forget the dogs uh, that I don't want to call it a priority shift because it's always been a priority, I think, for you and I alike and many people alike. Um, but just how busy you're willing and able, like at the drop of a hat to do anything for those kids and like mm-hmm. helping design a all girls lacrosse league for the first time in Austin. I would have predicted there for such a big city there'd be a lot of them. Maybe that's because I'm in Minnesota and there's lacrosse everywhere, but yeah, it hasn't made its way down South um, to be honest. And even when I was living in Colorado, it was a very new sport, even in that state. Um, But it's, it's making its way. There's so many great athletes here in the state and specifically girl athletes. And uh, I put a stick in my daughter's hand and she just, lit up like a bulb, uh, just like I did. So it's just amazing to see that type of excitement in someone to play a game. And so I, I couldn't have done anything but get this league off the ground here so then she could express that. And again, yeah. you know, a moving, movement advocate. I want her to – I want to advocate her playing um, a meaningful sport and lacrosse seems like it is that. So I'm excited. Yeah. And I mean, this goes across and it doesn't have to be like me with two kids and I don't want to get off on a tangent here between the two of us, but, mm-hmm. uh, cause this would be like a full family conversation. Um, I love golf. I grew up competing in snowboarding and wakeboarding. And if my kid wants to ski or golf or do anything like that, I'd be very happy, but it's something that they enjoy that's bigger than themselves. And I just mentioned golf and snowboard. Those are individual sports. You're not really playing for a team, but I also played baseball and track and football and um, all the way through high school and things like that. But the learning moments that you get within yourself from athletics is something huge. And in your content creation, one of the videos that I, when I'm teaching for you is very important for me to express is that, uh, um, playground is what I call it. The playground, uh, ad where 
the younger generation in our in America is likely to die younger than the existing their parents or the existing generation. Um, That's kind of mind blowing. And it like almost brings tears to my eyes every time I watch it. I'm like, ah, let's bring that recess back. Let's bring that playtime back. So Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it, it, it is. And the statistic is that uh, for the first time ever, um, this generation could die five years earlier than their parents, which is typically not the case. So we're seeing a, a reversal of our longevity due to, at least at, at, in part, due to the lack of expression of movement. Um, and so the, the, that playground video and the, the idea of, of movement um, as a medium in respect to our health is critically important for our kids. So we just talked about you know, getting our kids involved in an in organized sport, and that's just one component. But just the, the act of watching them play, and you have younger kids than I do, but just I'm sure any parent that's listening to this or anyone that just likes children, just watching them play is, is such an authentic uh, expression of joy that is, we're seeing less and less of. And, and I think it's upon us, upon, upon the parent, uh, hopefully an informed parent to be able to recognize that and have provide the environment for that child to be able to express themselves through movement. So I think it's I think it's critically important. Forget about pain and and sports. I was going to say you know, it, acu- it helps that they don't that. get hurt, right? Right. Well, sure, but we we want them to we want them to express it, and typically it's through play. That's how we learn. That's how we learn to move. Um, and so we need to provide that environment in some way for them to just express it. And yeah. m- many parents fall into the trap. Uh, that it has to be an organized sport. And it, it, it doesn't have to be that complicated. It can be so simple as just having some outside time to have them kind of you know, guide you as the parent into some type of movement. And I think that is something that we're losing. And that might be one of the reasons why we're seeing this statistic that should be unnerving. Uh, this is something that I was not planning on taking this direction. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think you, I would like to pick your brain on it or to see where you stand on this. Uh, I heard this along the lines of we spend the first half of our life. It was along the lines of where do we learn failure? And if you ask any kid under the age of five or six or even seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, depending on their upbringing, what they're good at, they'll tell you everything. They'll start listing running and drawing. I mean, they're good at everything, right? But at what point, at what stage in our developmental career do we learn that like, oh, no, I'm not good at that. Like, uh, sing me a song. No, 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 I can't sing. Because like, if you were to ask me to sing right now, even happy birthday, I'd be mm-hmm. like, eh. I'd start getting like heart palpitations and freak out. Like, I think sure. I'm bad at singing. But when do we learn that? And the quote goes, you know, we spend the first half of our life seeking external praise, learning how to make a grade and make our parents happy. Sorry, dad. Um, and do all these things. But then we, we have a direct change generated around the age of 18 to 25, where we need to flip that or we're forced to flip that and start seeking internal praise. And what you just touched on is letting them express movement, letting them figure it out within themselves. So we're already starting that conversation of seeking internal praise and making yourself Correct. happy, which I like. Correct. Uh, because if we're, uh, it, it's generally not, we might, think it's the external praise, um, but most of us will get the external criticism and that negative bias that many of us have generationally and evolutionarily that we've been biasing our attention towards the negative. So the, even the information that would be attempting to provide praise can be misinterpreted as criticism. And that's where I feel, and this is, if you're, if you're asking me the question of, when does that switch occur? Um, it happens very early when someone tries to intervene and starts to, to uh, um, in, attempt to influence. I shouldn't say either positive or negative. Attempts to, attempts to influence that authentic movement experience, the, the play environment. Um, I think that's where things start to break down. And, and I, I'm, I'm sure that that's a part of just the, of our learning process that we have to go through. 
but I, I think it happens too early when kids are literally just wrestling and, and enjoying, you know, some horseplay on, on the lawn, you know, there's a parent there that's, uh, attempting to influence that environment. And part of it might be due to limiting injury and protecting their child. But I think we're hovering a little bit more than we should, or at least how my parent would have hovered over me and their parent over them. Uh, I think it's it now becomes restricting. And so we're part of that problem, in my opinion, as a parent. So it's a, it, I think that's a that's an opinion of, that I have on parents that I've been able to witness as a, as a young uh, family. And I think it, we need to recognize that as parents because we are significant influencers on our kids' behaviors. No, and I think uh, not even recognize it, but admit it within yourself. We, we're all guilty of it. Like, I've been a parent <laughs> sure. for two, two and a half years. We're all guilty of yeah. being like, no, 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 no. Oh, wait, you're fine, right? Like, yeah. and how this translates into, and what I, I'm glad you kind of went down this direction is uh, how does this translate into patient care, clientele care? Mm -hmm. When do we intervene too much there? Yeah. Uh, I think that's such a great uh, segue into, you know, how my, my view on parenting actually does trans trans uh, does transmit to the way that I would deliver my care to my patients, which are an extension of my family. And that's one of the reasons why I, I think I had a successful career uh, thus far as is the ability to create these relationships with people because I treat them as family. And when you do that, you put more intent behind it. Um, so so the going back to the, the, the question on how that philosophy of influencing your child can, can be um, parlayed to how you would influence a patient, it it consistently can, you can create the same environment for that patient. And quite often, and this is, I've just went through total reconstruction of my shoulder about a year and a half ago. And I, and I saw the way the care was delivered to me was this regimented um, linear, you know, progression. You're here at this phase of your recovery post-surgery and we're getting you here. And there's this line, this imaginary line that this therapist was trying to, trying to follow when internally uh, as the patient, I really wanted to explore the, the movement. If I can go back to where I was, I wanted to explore the movement and try to navigate to a a specific movement or specific action that I wanted to create just like a kid. A shape. Thank you. Just like a uh, a kid wants to accomplish a specific goal in their play environment, they navigate multiple ways to accomplish that task. And so I I wanted to do the same with my body, but I was told you can't go in that direction. You need to stay within this you know range of motion. You need to limit this amount of load. And and I know that there are specific parameters to the tissue repair, but there was no acceptance for any type of variability, which I, I feel as a, as a therapist um, viewing back on my recovery was probably delayed because I never explored different shapes and different positions through that rehab. And then once I was quote unquote uh, recovered and now uh, discharged, I had to relearn how to move with, with more options. And that extended my care for probably another year. And so that's where I think we, what we could do as therapists working with patients is provide more variability in experiences and allow that patient, that individual to learn to explore that variability in movement. And that gives them more breadth of choices when they are looking to move outside of the clinic if that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. Uh, and it, it hit it right on the head. It was exactly the answer I was hoping for. Um, this is why I like picking your brain is mm. I, like, not that confirmation validity is necessary, but it's great to hear somebody that I like and appreciate and look up to say the same thing that I would lo- not so eloquently say, but what I was thinking, like right out of my brain. So I like that. Um, switching gears up a little bit. Uh, I, I, I mentioned this earlier and I wanted to get back to it. You've lived pretty much everywhere, but the East coast, if I'm not mistaken. Um, what's your favorite spot? 
Uh, I'm going to correct you. I have lived on the oh. East Coast. I, I've lived in Florida for two years. I did. That's my, not the uh, East Coast. I'm thinking like the Northeast. Oh, the Northeast. Well, the uh, Floridians would uh, uh, probably not appreciate that, but uh, they're the Southeast. Let's say that. And uh, so I lived in Florida for a few years doing my graduate work. But I've lived in um, Tampa, Florida. I've lived in Northern California, San Jose, uh, Santa Cruz area. Uh, I've lived in Denver, Colorado um, for five years. And I just recently, or recently, two years ago, moved here to Austin, Texas. So those are the, the cities and states that I've been here in the U.S. So which one's your favorite? Ah, good one. Because um, <laughs> like, for me, the, the I... Reason I, I I have lived in Minnesota my whole life. I had a brief stint in Colorado and I don't feel like I know much else. So when I get to meet individuals who have lived in such a vast difference of culture and nature Mm -hmm. and all these cool things, like it's fun to, you know, see where they're coming from. Cause I I believe that like getting back to where we call home, like I believe your home, like in your heart, Canada and, Toronto area is very similar to my home and how I grew Mm up. Um, not that we had the same upbringing and nature nurture talk. Um, but what we like about home is very similar. And when I lived in Colorado, I had a struggle with, I mean, the mountains are beautiful. Don't get me wrong, Mm -hmm. but I had a struggle with the fact that there was zero lakes. Like I am such a water body that I, I struggled with it. So Austin is, very different than Colorado. Colorado is very different than California. California is very different than Florida, which is different than Canada. So, um, so let let me, let me answer it. Cause I, I, my wife and I have been speaking of this. We have an 11 year old and we're uh, at, at that phase of our lives where we're starting to ask, is this where we want to retire? Where, where do we want to be at that next phase of our, of our lives? And uh, since we have the seen many places here in the U.S. and the world. I lived in Italy for years and I obviously grew up in Canada. And the, the, the answer here in the U.S. would be relatively easy. It would be in uh, Northern California. Um, now, the, the fiscal feasibility of that is probably less than um, uh, optimal. Um, it's just a, a difficult place to... Uh, to live because of the cost of living. Um, But if if I'm just thinking of what nature provides in a state like that, it provided everything I wanted. I could ski and surf on the same day. And that isn't just a saying, that is a truth. Um, And so I I love the fact of having the ocean, having many lakes, uh, having mountains and having deserts. I I had it all. and uh, the sport of choice that I probably love most now at this stage of my life is mountain biking. And Northern California is epic for yeah. just fluid cycling anywhere in that state. So I, Mecca. I missed, I missed that. Yeah. Um, I guess I, I knew you were into biking. I didn't know that you were passionate about it at this point. Um, yeah. I, I, grew up like every kid did on a bike and it's, it was your vehicle of choice. And then you turn 16 and it just goes away. Right. Um, I got into mountain biking briefly in Colorado and it, I think all it took is like one weird landing where I was like, you know what, maybe single tracks aren't for me. Like getting bucked off this bike and then hitting a tree just isn't, isn't exactly what I need to be doing with my lack of disability insurance right now. Um, sure which now I have, but, uh, yeah, it was a little, little frightening at that moment. Um, you said this earlier that you were a movement advocate across the healthcare world, regardless of your profession, what does it mean to be a movement advocate? Or I guess, what does that look like? Well, uh, when it comes to, you know, the, the idea of, of movement, um, as a parent or as a practitioner, as an individual that wants to get back to movement, um, you know, this is a discussion that we probably could continue to have for hours. And, but don't tease me like that. You know, yeah, like right. That. But, <laughs> but going going back to what I I I really am attempting to get across to anyone that I speak to, including my local neighborhood here, that are getting to know me as someone that uh, they want to speak to when 
they're not able to move in a meaningful way. And the reason I think it's important for us to have this discussion is that the first thing that needs to be understood is that people uh, don't go see a, a chiropractor, a physical therapist, a massage therapist, an acupuncturist because of pain. Um, and that might be something that many listeners would say, well, that's untrue. That's exactly why I went and saw someone. But I, I think if you, if you dive deeper into the actual reason, the, the real reason why you saw them is that pain was limiting you from doing something that you wanted to do with your own body. Um, pain was the limiter to allowing you to play with your kids. Pain was limiting you from swinging your golf club in your case, or allowing me to cycle uh, a specific um, um, uh, trail. And so the, what I wanted to get across is first getting people to understand when they go see a practitioner of any sort, to be able to have that conversation, to have that person understand the meaningful movement that you want to get back to. The reason that is important is that it will set the stage uh, to that practitioner of what they need to do to get you back to your meaningful movement. And I think that could really speed up the process versus saying, I'm coming in because I have pain in my elbow. And then the focus is all around that specific area of the body disconnected from the rest of the individual that is missing something in their life. Uh, and, and it's becoming very clear if you follow any of the pain science um, that pain is much more complex than just the expression of the, of the feeling that we have in whatever body part. It is an influencer um, uh, um, in, in respect to our sensory system, which is what we feel, but it also influences our social identity of, of the, the community that we're now segregated from due to our inability to express our movement. It's, it's affecting us psychologically, which is really obvious right now, 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 now that we're having this conversation during a pandemic where the environment is potentially restricting people from expressing their movement, which is influencing people psychologically, um, emotionally. And so I think if, if that person, the individual can actually have that discussion with the practitioner and that more importantly, that that practitioner can accept this information and understand how to use it to be able to direct the, the experience, then I, then I think you have a good marriage in someone that can work with you. Um, but if they can't, they are so disconnected from the individual that's connected to the body part that they're working with, then I, I would strongly recommend to find someone else. Um, and I, I, I think that might turn some people off, but it's really a, a reality that I've come to uh, understand over my last 10 years of my career that getting people better, helping people um, move more meaningfully takes much more than just working on a body part. So that's my hashtag tag line. Tag line <laughs> yeah, that's a long, you don't want to write that on a wall and frame it or anything <laughs> like that. You're taking people forever. You just hit on a bunch of huge points that I actually am going to break away from the idea of like wrapping this thing up. If you got a couple more minutes, cause I want to sure, hear a couple stances and kind of hear you reiterate this because it's worth, <laughs> uh, as you say, a intentful trickle of information and purposeful reiteration. Um, so, one, your goals are their goals. As a provider, your goal in rendering care unto somebody or with somebody, which it's a beautiful marriage of both, is to help them achieve their goals. But, and I, I, I don't even know if this is a question or how you might answer this, um, not with fear-based mechanisms. Because so often we hear people say like, oh, you've got elbow pain that's connected to this body part. Let me do this one thing that I'm really good at and is the end all be all magic pill. Mm -hmm. The role of bastardization and care and a combination of tactics is, in, in my opinion, crucial. Um, one tool does not fit all. And I, I know you agree with that statement. Um, I just kind of want to hear you 
go off on a tangent on how perhaps uh, to phrase this a little bit differently, um, how regardless of your profession, whether you're a physical therapist, a coach, a personal trainer, an acupuncturist, a massage therapist, a chiropractor, an OT, an OTA, PTA, all these professionals, ATC, don't forget that one, um, how they can notice that and acknowledge that and recognize that in a educational manner to help their patients achieve these movement strategies. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's much more complex than just manipulating a body part, as I said earlier. And those that have uh, the success within their careers are those that are able to recognize that first and foremost, that, that what they're doing is influencing more than just the tissue. Um, and those that can connect with the individual attached to the tissue. And uh, I keep coming back to, you know, concepts and slides even of, of content that I've created in our education, of which I, I think are critically important. That's why I put them in there. Well, but this idea say, that you bring these up, I, like, I feel like I'm hearing you speak straight off some of these slides, but it, it kind mm -hmm. of solidifies the point that the education that you have created isn't just something that sells because it looks sexy or anything like it, which is damn sexy. Yeah. Right. But it's actually what you believe in. And what I think you're kind of about to get to here to interrupt you is every therapist provider clinician is going to have this realization self look in the mirror at some point. It's just, when is it? Um, yeah. So yeah, it, I listen, the, the realization and that, uh, that, that occurrence when you actually look in the mirror and I had that uh, just prior to, you know, starting rock tape. And it was just a, a fortunate time when I was given a platform to be able to deliver what I felt was a transition in, in my delivery as a practitioner. Um, and, and I, the reason I think it's a difficult uh, discussion for, for some, sometimes many is that, we're inundated with education, formal education that tells us this is what we're doing mechanically to X tissue. And people embrace that information and, and believe that that is truth. That is the only truth. But as I keep reiterating the fact that the individuals that we're working with and the environment that we're um, uh, conducting these, these relationships are complex. And so to understand that what we're doing is more than just the tissue is just a reality. And that is fearful because it's, it's a new reality to many. And it's fearful for those that say, I'm a mechanic, I'm not a psychotherapist. And I think it's, it's a valid fear to have as a manual therapist, the, the list of, of occupations that you, you listed there is, is an accurate one where majority of them are considered mechanics. They work on tissue, they help people move mechanically. Um, but I can't separate that movement or that body part from the individual and nor can anyone else. So I'm not asking people to be psychotherapists. I'm asking people to connect with the individual psychologically, socially, emotionally, uh, environmentally, spiritually, potentially. And, and that connection could look uh, quite different from person to person to person. And the job of that practitioner is to, is to create that relationship to be able to influence that person uh, in a positive direction. And so I think it's much more important than just what tool you're gonna use on X tissue is how do you influence that person um, to, 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 make an, to make an effect on their behavior, because it doesn't really matter uh, if you think what you did to the tissue is going to make that tissue better. You have to convince that individual that they're better and that they, they can move um, in a safe and effective manner. And that, that part requires relationships it requires education it requires confidence it's a human um, connection is, it's is a what human it connection it, you're and, absolutely right and you said the word convince and i know you didn't mean that it's not like you're driving it home and trying to like pound it in and like hey you are moving better you can do this it's instilling empowerment and inspiration mm -hmm. in them 
but also letting them see that creating that buy-in versus saying like, see, see how you did this and coaching really and coaching them along the way to progress to bigger, better, badder, more sexy strategies. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think you said it perfectly right. You want to empower, you want to create autonomy. Those, those are more accurate um, ways of describing how you can influence someone. I just didn't um, want anybody to come after you for using the word convince them like you're bashing them over the head with it, which sometimes is necessary. Type I'm, A people. I'm saffrons. more than comfortable. Yes. Yes. It's <laughs> another story. Totally different story. All right, sir. I do want to wrap this up. I don't want to take any time from you anymore. Um, what I do have is three questions that I am hoping to ask most, if not all guests on the podcast. Um, so feel free to answer these as short or long as you deem necessary. Uh, question number one, if you could be ranked the top 10, so either top one in the world or number nine in the world, top 10 in, in, in the world at anything, what would it be and why? It's a great question. I love it. Um, top 10 of anything in the world and why? Um, you know, I think um, the the socially acceptable answer as a parent would be, you know, the best dad, but, but it's, that's not, don't go cliche on that's me. Not, Come that's on. Not, that's not, that's not my truth. Um, I, I, you are I, a top I, 10. I, I already, I already consider myself the best dad for my child, but the, right. You're at the, least top two parents for your child. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. It's a great point. Um, but the, if I had to be top 10 of anything, that's such a great question. Um, I just, I just, I, since mountain biking is my meaningful movement to be able to, you know, separate myself from all other obligations, I'd love to have the skill set to be a top 10 in that sport. So it would be mountain biking. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you didn't, you kind of addressed the why, but to let me uh, translate that, I believe your why is because then you'd be able to do it more and you'd be able to express yourself on a more frequent basis in that realm. Yeah. Um, we, we live, we live, we live in a YouTube society and I'm, I'm like many others that uh, I, I like to see people express something that I enjoy in a, in such a fluid way. So you when you watch a professional or an elite mover, most people would say they, they move so effort effortlessly and they have such, um, um, uh, I guess, fluidity in the way that they express that movement. I want that. Yeah. And so I struggle and fight through some of the portions of that, of that movement. It being a top 10, I would interpret that as being someone that would be identified as fluid or effortless. Yeah. And so that's what I want. Which that feeling, uh, have you ever watched yourself mountain bike or do something like that? Yeah. Um, it's funny how like, you're like, gosh, yeah, I nailed that route. I nailed that trail. I, I probably look so badass doing that. And then you watch sure. yourself and you're like, okay, I'm not going to post that anywhere, or share that with anybody because <laughs> yeah, you just right. don't look as fluid right. as you think you are. Uh, that's that's right. super funny. All right. Next question is what is one thing you know that you can do better and aspire to learn within the next year? Um, connection, going back to what we talked about before, uh, as a, as a practitioner, as a parent, as a, as a, a husband, um, being, uh, cognizant of my connection to the people around me is something that I've been really working on. Uh, cause I think it's a, it's a missing piece to many of the relationships that we have, how to connect. And I think that goes not just for you, but a lot of people, especially like you said, just a couple minutes ago in this pandemic, a lot of people are learning that, that yeah. they're just getting by in the relationships and they're just getting by, whether that's a spousal relationship or a significant other relationship or a friend relationship. Mm -hmm. um, now more than ever, it's worth reaching out and just having human connection with people um, because we see that biopsychosocial approach that you were mentioning of mental struggles showing up physically as symptoms. And uh, making those connections would be a huge, huge win for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Speaking of that, actionable steps that uh, you would hope to inspire individuals viewing and listening to this to take. Uh, what is an actionable step that you would advocate for listeners and viewers to take uh, better care of their relationships, better care of their health, and just overall their movement in their lives? 
Um, what is one I, I like that, daily or weekly thing that you'd recommend that everybody do? Uh, pause. Um, and I, I might have to explain it, but pause just means um, hesitate before you respond. Uh, listen more intently. Pause just means take that extra second to to accept the information that you're getting from an individual and environment, interpret it uh, without the knee jerk reflex to be able to act upon something either verbally or through some type of movement. So pause to me has been an actionable step that I'm taking to improve my connection. Um, And I believe that that's something that could be done um, for anyone that is trying to influence their relationships with someone. I feel like you're talking directly at me. Like you're my dad yelling at me because I struggle so badly with pausing. Uh, You know me well enough. I'm just a motor mouth. And I feel like if I just can keep continuing talking, I've got to say something right at some point. Then I just ramble, ramble, ramble. So um, I think that's hitting home for me big time. So, yeah. So could I add one thing? And I got this from one of our um, mutual friends and colleagues, uh, Joe Labaca, a physical therapist out of New York. And him and I have been talking a lot about relationships and connection and influencing uh, the people that we work with and that we, uh, inf- that we interact with. And we've been really uh, discussing and really challenging ourselves on that idea of pausing and silence, the comfort of silence. Like in an environment like you and I are in right now, how much time would we be comfortable with and just sitting in silence? Um, and it, and it does challenge people. And so this might be one of the other actionable steps that your listeners could attempt to apply within the next week is within a conversation and uh, pausing for as long as you can in silence and seeing what occurs within that period of time. So that's a challenge, you know, shoot for the five seconds and then strive for the 20 seconds. I I, I challenge everyone to do that. Make things as socially awkward as possible and and relish in that moment because you know that you, you derived it. That's, that's fun. Um, No, I think Joe and I had a very similar conversation at some point. If you guys are listening, viewing, uh, give Joe a follow too. He's a brilliant human being. Um, giving people the ability to say what they need to say is also a, a crucial point of that. Uh, mm-hmm. And just waiting it out, digesting it, then speaking is, is huge. So, well, thank you, sir. Uh, I greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate you joining me and taking your time. Uh, hopefully all of you viewing and watching and listening enjoyed this conversation as well. By all means, give us uh, give us a follow, follow Fascia Doc on Instagram and uh, go take a rock tape course near you whenever the heck they turn live or jump over to FMT Plus and uh, take one of those courses because they are brilliantly filmed and uh, great production. So thank you again, sir. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me.